0: Welcome to Altamar. That means high seas in Spanish, and we're going to navigate the high seas of global politics. My name is Peter Schechter, and with me is my co host Mooney Jensen. We're captaining this boat for the next half hour, and join us as we take on a massive topic Russia. And later in the show, we have Professor Mark Galeotti with us, who is a senior researcher at the Institute for International Relations in Prague. He is one of the most prolific voices on Russia analyzing the ins and outs of the Kremlin and the relationship between the United States and Russia.
1: A big issue with a very interesting and often um, a little bit controversial guest. But where to start? There are so many issues today facing the Russia relationship, the Russia relationship with the rest of the world, and in particular with the US. So do we start with elections, with the whole um, large elephant in the room about the potential Russia interference in the US election last year? Um, Is it as big as it has been? has been indicated that it is, Peter, should we start there? Or are there well, other I mean, issues I, on the you table? Know,
0: I think it's w- certainly worth talking about that at least for 10 seconds because 81,000 votes swung this, and 81,000 votes affected by tr- Russian trolls could have indeed moved this the result of this election.
1: But many people think it is just the domestic voter, the mistakes in the Hillary campaign that caused this little tiny difference that has Trump now in the White House. So we'll see whether the Russia uh, interference or alleged interference was the turning point or not pretty soon. So when we were thinking about how to tackle this issue, whether we focused on the investigation, on the election, on Ukraine, on the Middle East, on nuclear disarmament, we decided to have a little fun and figure out who the winners and losers are uh, in this standoff between two big bullies in the global arena. Who stands to gain or lose? Vladimir Putin, Donald Trump, uh, Peter. You start with Putin. You have some pretty strong views about the Russian leader.
0: Look, Mooney. I, I think we should take a step back, and I have I have a confession to make. I need to I need to sort of I feel embarrassed a little bit about doing this, but I, I sort of feel like watching him is like watching a horrible car crash on the road where you can't avert your eyes. I hate the guy, but I I do confess to have some admiration for him, because after all, he sits at the head of this massive country with an incredibly degraded economy. I mean, they don't produce anything in Russia. They don't They don't make anything. When's the last time you've seen or bought something that had "Made in Russia" on it? They don't make anything, and yet their oil prices have been cut by 50%. They have a demographic implosion. They're going to have less people in that country in 10 or 15 years than they do today. There, no nobody's producing babies because nobody has any any particular hope for the future. And so, there is a. He sits atop this country, and yet all over the world, somehow he seems to be doing this magic trick in Syria. He has uh, declared the protection of an incredibly authoritarian and brutal dictator, but there he is. The guy is notwithstanding the rest of the world being against Assad. Assad is in power. If you look at Europe, where he has obviously just gone after trying to create this dissension and disunity at the heart of... The European Union, what do we see? We see all of these nationalist parties having more and more influence. Yes, Macron won in France, but she, the Le Pen party, made a huge step forward. And the British are leaving. So there has been success in trying to create a disunity in Europe. And in NATO, we have a president here in the United States who openly asks questions and has doubts about NATO. I don't know. This guy seems to be doing pretty well.
1: So you think that um, the fact that he is this outsized influence that doesn't really correspond with the size of his economy or the the power of his economy or the power that he has in the international community is based on some sort of nostalgia for Russia or it's based on basically a really good bluffer or a really good poker player? Because he really seems to have a lot of say in the international community, both Uh, With regard to the United States, increasingly, and then also as a disruptive force in the NATO alliance, as a disruptive force in Europe, as a catalyst for a lot of new parties that rise with this new nationalism, it seems like he takes pages off the very traditional populism playbook, which is find an external enemy and build your success within I just keep wondering how strong he is in Russia and how much all of this attention is helping him or hurting him.
0: Well, he's created this kleptocracy in Russia in which he basically rules like a feudal kingdom, a little bit like Game of Thrones. I mean, there he is giving out and doling out princedoms and fiefdoms and dukedoms and all. Uh, to his friends, and he keeps people on edge because you never know exactly who's in or who's out. It's all measured by the distance to Putin. It doesn't matter if you're secretary, if you're the minister of defense or the minister of uh, foreign affairs or the minister of the interior in Russia. It's all measured by how close you are to Putin or how much access you have to Putin. It's all about him. And so, look, I, I, I think that this is... A country that certainly does not thrive and grow on the fact that it espouses universal values or a sense and projects a sense of... A view of where the world ought to be but this is a country that has clearly over the last 5 to 10 years grown through disruption grown through sowing seeds of doubt, grown through creating disunity in other places. So he's empowered
1: now he's empowered because of his uh, relationship with Trump, he's empowered because his bluff is working and he's empowered because he's created enormous distrust within the uh, international community and now he is all of a sudden a very important player in global politics, uh, which he wasn't a few years back, and I think that's part of the fault of the United States. So I think we can agree, if we ever agree, that Putin is the big winner in this whole situation, and we won't be accused of of being a Putinist um, if we say that, right?
0: I mean, there is no doubt in my mind that you know, you have put it succinctly. If you look five years ago or six years ago, did people think that here would be Russia and Vladimir Putin sitting atop this mountain of influence? No. People oh. did ser- People certainly didn't think that. But I think it's worth, Muni, us taking a look here at... It's not all roses for Vladimir Putin these days because he thought he was getting his friend at the White House, and it's not quite turning out that way. Not because, I'm not saying that's because what his friend believes, but his friend is being pretty tied up in Washington. So let's take a look at this new sanctions bill. It's one of the few things that has been able to unite Congress recently. It isn't clear to me whether it united Congress against President Trump or against President Putin, but it is clear to me that It has distanced the Republican Party even more from President Trump. Let's take a listen to what Senator John McCain has to say during the voting on that bill.
1: My friends, the United States of America needs to send a strong message to Vladimir Putin and any other aggressor that we will not tolerate attacks on our democracy. That's what this bill is all about must take our own side in this fight, not as Republicans, not as Democrats, but as Americans. It's time to respond to Russia's attack on American democracy with strength, with resolve, with common purpose, and with action. I'm, I'm proud to have played a small role, but I'm most proud of the bipartisanship that URC manifested today on both
0: sides of the aisle.
1: We need a little more of it.
0: So, do you think that Senator McCain was explaining how he would handcuff the Kremlin? Or was he explaining how he would handcuff the White House? It seems to me that Washington intends to respond not only by making sure that the actions of the Kremlin have some repercussions, but also that the actions of the White House have repercussions. Because this bill childproofs and directly curbs our own president's authority. And that seems almost that this is a bigger loss for Trump than it is for Putin.
1: Well, that basically with uh, the... Republican Congress, which is completely distancing itself from any type of uh, potential relationship between Trump and Putin. And it's uh, basically applying pretty significant sanctions uh, on Russia, which are going to hurt. And there's also a uh, concerted effort to try to find all of the foreign capital around the world that is also Russian. So that should also bring a big hit to the Russian economy. So I think the biggest loser, if we think about, Putin in Russia, the the where he could stand to lose the most is in his economy, which is only just starting to recover from a very long and painful recession.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the economy is the thing. Is the is the first thing. The second thing is the. I mean. Russia today is the issue in Washington DC. And because it's the issue in Washington DC, it's also the issue in London and Berlin and Madrid and Rome and Paris. And because of that, there is the entire judicial systems of all of these countries are now, have moved their focus Towards Russia, and there's going to be just so much scrutiny into this kleptocratic government that I think that this is going to start causing some serious problems. And then I, I would just let's talk a second about what we were saying before about Trump. I mean, there is no doubt that what has happened is because of the doubts of what of the about the collusion between the trump cam- or the uh, alleged collusion between the trump campaign and russia that now trump is in this box having to prove over and over again that he's actually not a friend of russia
1: he can't do anything if he says nice things about putin he's going to be attacked by his own party and if he uh, is very very critical he's going to also get into trouble with his russian partner and there are very important topics on the table with regard to the United States and Russia. There are politics, uh, nuclear disarmament policies that have been bipartisan ever since the Reagan years that have continued, and those stand at risk if the relationship between two highly volatile, incredibly emotional, very uh, low levels of rational discipline uh, ever get into some sort of a, of a little tiff or a fight. There are very serious alliances that, um, that, whose frameworks are in danger.
0: Absolutely, and the, the other thing that is in great danger is what is Russia's role in the rest of the world and how, I mean, this is a massive nuclear power and it's a nuclear power that merits the respect, but today because of this box that we're in, because of what Russia has done in meddling in the US elections and in other elections, and because Trump is just not trusted to handle Russia, today we are unable to discuss with Russia any positive or, or or a proactive agenda, because everybody's going to suspect that we're somehow giving in. quote-unquote. But unquote. he also
1: can't alienate Putin, because there are many important. Uh topics of conversation at stake. He can't accept uh, that Russia interfered in the election, but he also can't create another enemy. So we'll see what the poker player and the giant deal maker come up with right now. But I do think that Trump is one of the big fat losers in this relationship.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about Trump and whether he's won or he's lost. Lost. (laughs) All right. Well, you're clearly of a view of here. But look, you know, I started my career as a political consultant, Mooney. And that's all about winning or losing campaigns. And so if, if they, these guys colluded, if the Russians helped Trump win the election, then didn't he actually win? Because after all, there he sits at the White House, appointing people, making decisions, putting the world in a state of alarm, anything you want, but there he sits at the White House. And so the big win here is that the Russians helped him win. And after all, Trump d- is there.
1: Unless he's caught. Because if it is proven that he did receive and collude with the Russians, then he's basically screwed. And he has very little future as a leader, whether or not he um, goes through impeachment proceedings. So that's kind of his turning point right there.
0: So, look, I think you and I should call in the cavalry here and ask Uh the experts to have an opinion as to whether really, is Russia winning here? Is Trump winning here? Whose has the advantage? And we have asked um, Professor Mark Gagliotti, who is a senior researcher at the Institute for International Relations in Prague, where he is the coordinator of the Center for European Security there. And he is a prolific writer, a very smart, but also very controversial voice on Russian affairs and on Russo-U.S. relations. Professor Galliotti. thank you so much for joining us today at Altamar. My great pleasure.
1: Professor Galliotti. I'm looking at a headline uh, that you produced which says that Putin's goal is to make Russia great again. Now, you've written extensively and sometimes controversially about this issue. Just in briefly, do you think he is achieving this goal? So is Russia great again, thanks to the recent developments?
2: Absolutely not. I mean, in a way, the way I think of it in some ways is that that Putin is equivalent to that neighbor who at the moment has a shiny, great big car and is busy having new carpets laid and everything else. Um, And you think, my God, they must be doing well. But what you don't realize is the size of the credit card bill behind it. Um, he clearly has a certain perception of of Russia's role in the world that is completely out of keeping with Russia's actual resources remember we're talking with a country with an economy smaller than that of Spain that is trying to basically punch at global level Um, now he's had some advantages by the fact that the West is in distinct disarray Um, there's been a sort of long-lasting legitimacy crisis the European Union is currently at something of a crossroads and the less said about American politics the better And all of this has given him opportunities, and he is, if nothing, exceedingly effective at using opportunities. But in terms of the long-term costs, I think when the historians in 10, 20, 50 years' time write the books about Putin, they will say this is a guy who in his first years had some great chances to do something for for Russia, but eventually squandered them all.
0: Mark? Mark? Uh, one of the questions that we here in the United States are really wondering about, and and, and I, frankly we don't talk enough about, which is all of the things that have happened in the recent deterioration of relations between Russia and the United States. What are they saying in Moscow? What what what, what both? What are your colleagues saying about this in universities or even in cafes and in bars? And give us a sense of how Moscow is viewing what is clearly a real degrading of relations between the two largest nuclear superpowers.
2: Yeah, well, obviously it depends on, on on which Moscow you're talking about. So let me, in a way, give you three different Moscows very briefly. The the Moscow of the the bus driver and the ordinary office worker who gets his or her news from state controlled or state influenced TV, is obviously deeply aware of the situation and is not entirely comfortable with that, but nonetheless has been fed a diet of propaganda that basically says, you know, not only is everything under control, but this is in fact Russia pushing back against an America that actually was trying to constrain and limit it. So they are broadly accepting of it. Then, if you're talking um, to policymaker types, uh, certainly people within the national security establishment, people within the foreign ministry, even the military, they're that much more conscious of the potential risks. And I mean, in a way, they're in the same situation as many other people around the world. They still have no real idea what a Trump America is capable of, what its long-term ambitions are, and and, and so forth. And and they're very uncomfortable with that inability to, to predict American actions. They've always relied on America being the responsible adult, that they get to bring in brinksmanship, and, and sort of test and basically play the role of the rogue. And America is the one that calms things down. Well, they can't do that. So there is considerable discomfort, even while you know, some mild satisfaction at seeing disarray in NATO. And then in the middle, there's the kind of liberal intellectual types, the university professors and so forth. Um, and they, they are actually much more aware of the costs because these are the people who've travelled a lot, who have colleagues in the West who try to engage in the West, who got used to being part, a Russia part of a Russia that was connected with the world and they're feeling more and more of those connections being snipped away. Their chances to travel, whether they're even just the capacity to be able to afford it and so forth becoming that much less. So so they're they're uncomfortable too. But in a way, the problem is there is no consensus. Um, and given that this is an essentially authoritarian regime, that basically means the Kremlin gets to do whatever it wants.
1: So, in essence, do you believe that the relationship with the United States and the contentious nature of this relationship is uh, creating some sort of an inflated Putin? And if so, is that the reason why you've been called both a Russophobe and a Putinist?
2: (laughs) Well, this is it, actually. I think, you know, again, the problem is that unless you're very, very clearly on, on one team or another, either you think that it's all America's fault for being beastly to that nice Mr. Putin or else you essentially be believe that, given the chance, the ravening Russian hordes will be rolling into Europe tomorrow. Um, if, if, if you're in between those extremes, then basically everyone gets gets to sort of assume that you're on the other side. I think, but yes, th- this is really very much, I think, elevated Putin. I mean, I think we, we have to realise this is not some kind of chess-playing mastermind who's worked everything out f- six moves in advance and so forth. He... And, and his Russia is exactly opportunistic, playing a pretty weak hand, often quite well, but also often very, very badly. But we focus on, on the apparent successes. We don't look at the fact that if you look at Europe, for example, they basically ruin their chances of improving relations with France. They definitely have alienated Germany, which is powerful. I mean, time and again, they, they have tried to influence other countries and have failed. We don't to talk much about that. But the point is, the more we, we inflate Putin, it, it Basically, it builds up his power base at home. You know, the idea, people, Russians like to feel that they have a leader who is precisely sitting at the top table. But it also actually plays up Russia's strengths in, in the rest of the world, because basically we are essentially allowing Putin to bluff his way to that top table, rather than actually stopping and thinking, well, actually, let's look at really what Russia can do and what it more to the
0: point what it can't do. Let me um, go back to the issue of elections, because you recently said something which has gotten picked up a lot by the press in which you said that, you know, and within within, remember, we're, we're transmitting here from Washington, so uh, we're all obsessed with what happened in the election, and you said recently that you believe that Russia's impact on the election was relatively minimal, and especially minimal when compared to James Comey's actions, for example and how that affected the Hillary campaign so two, two questions, one is, could you talk to us a little bit about that, and, and about what Russia's active measures Really were in influencing the elections, but then, also. Talk to us a little bit about. I mean, isn't whether it actually was the deciding factor or not? Isn't it a really serious incursion uh, into another state? Isn't isn't this something that is a, um, a real reason for get for everybody being as upset? I mean, you seem to want to lower the the um the, the fire the the flame on this. I, and I wonder, I mean, aren't people right to be furious at the fact that Russia's tried to influence our election?
2: Of course they should be. Look, I mean, let, let me address that that second point first. Um Exactly. D- decisive or not, it was indeed a, a massive breach of, shall I say, international etiquette. Look, let's not pretend that countries do not try and influence other people's elections. When President Obama came to Britain and basically warned that if Britain voted for Brexit and to leave the European Union, it would be at the back of the line for new trade deals, he wasn't just saying that just as making conversation. He was doing so because he was trying to influence the outcome of that vote. Um, Sadly, from my point of view, it it didn't have the desired effect. But the point is there is acceptable and unacceptable ways in which you can influence another country's politics. It's one thing to actually just simply to try and express, express your views and so forth and try and talk about the potential outcomes. To use subversion and all these other active measures that the Russians have done is, of course, a completely different matter. It is absolutely serious. But in some ways, when I'm trying to sort of lower the heat on this, it's not I'm saying let's not make it serious. I'm just saying also but let's just be, shall you say, coolly angry rather than just firely angry. Because I think we, we, we actually have to have to look at the, at the realities of the situation as well. But yes, this is something that, in my opinion, marks what I've called political war. I mean, like it or not, although there's no guns being fired, at least outside of Ukraine. Um, but nonetheless, we are, in our own way, at war with Putin's Russia. And it's a war that basically the Russians feel that we started, but clearly they started, But it is entirely a a political one that is fought in the shadows. It is fought with subversion and active measures and economic pressure and elite capture and so forth. So to to move on to your first question about sort of why I say it was minimal and and, and what can we say about the active measures? Well, look, first of all, I mean, I've got to be clear, I'm not a... US political science specialist. I spent seven and a half years uh, based at New York University and I can completely understand the, the passions aroused by these elections. Um, but, but nonetheless, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, if, if we look at it, it's very, very hard to actually see any evidence for a substantial, specifically Russian impact um you know a lot of people like like to basically link together the fact that you know for example Russia's RT TV channel was was very very clearly um opposed to Hillary Clinton but the point is, the evidence that actually people pay any attention to that is lacking. Likewise, yes, of course, the Russians seek to um, exacerbate all kinds of uh, furious rows that we see in social media and the Twitter sphere and so forth. But again, actually, when, when people have dug into it, it's very, very hard to show that it actually had a major um, impact in, in changing people's views. Russian propaganda is most effective with people who are already inclined to believe it. People who are already feeling conspiratorial. People who already feel that somehow them, the quote unquote mainstream media, the establishment, or all these other people are somehow sort of doing them doing them down. Yes, the Russians can capitalise on that, but they are by no means alone. There's actually, a- it seems. Sorry, I was not say. I mean, actually, it seems much more to have been a question of. Um, Hillary Clinton's electoral strategy um, and and the crucial impact of the announcement of the FBI investigation at a point which definitely sort of derailed what was clearly a, a Hillary Clinton bandwagon that was moving.
1: Recently, there is some information that's come up about how in 2014, Obama was uh, made aware of influence of, on the part of the Russian government on elections around the world, and some criticize him for not doing enough. But do you think that the Russians and Putin, um, just like all of us, was really not expecting Donald Trump to win and was only, as you have said, uh, looking in their meddling to weaken the what would they and everyone considered to be the inevitable candidate?
2: Absolutely. It was interesting. I, I was in Moscow before the elections, and the people I was talking to, and you know, I'm talking about people who are within or close to the sort of decision-making structures, they were all absolutely certain that, that Hillary Clinton would win. And not just, as it were, for the same reasons that the rest of us might have been, but because they also have a, a tendency to mirror image. Um, they have what looks on paper like a democracy but is clearly not a democracy it's totally managed well to an extent they feel that America and other democratic countries are like that it's actually really quite amazing how although there are very sort of smart analysts in Moscow the, the Putin state, the people who actually make the decisions really don't understand democracies yet. Anyway so, so they're absolutely certain basically I mean I, I have one person who just flatly said the American establishment will not allow Trump to win so from that context they were sure that Hillary was going to win they were very worried about that because they regarded her as being very hawkish. They thought that she actually would push for some kind of regime change program in Russia, and what they wanted to do was to ensure that she will be so busy fighting fires as of the first day of her presidency people questioning her legitimacy, people questioning her um, business dealings, the whole email blah, et etc., et cetera, that she would not have the time or the political energy to be launching any kind of major political campaign. So, I mean, in, in that context, exactly, they, they set out to weaken her, and, and by extension, that meant supporting or strengthening Trump, but they did so because they just thought they were purely weakening the president who was going to be. I was then, I was later on in Moscow, um, at the time when, if you remember, there was a Syrian chemical weapons attack um, and then a subsequent U.S. cruise missile strike in in, in retaliation. Um, And by chance, the next day, I was meeting someone I knew from the Russian foreign ministry um, who who said, look, this is exactly what we feared. This is our worst nightmare of the Trump presidency. Uh, An American president who literally changes policy overnight because of what he sees on Fox News, who doesn't see any need to signal that change of policy in advance and has a relatively low threshold for the use of violence. So in, in this respect, and although it may not be any great comfort to anyone else, but I mean, it, one, one can say to the Russians, be, be careful what you wished for. Um, because in, in, in many ways, they have put themselves in, in a much more precarious position through their, their campaigns to, as they thought, weaken Hillary Clinton.
0: Mark, let me ask you one last question, because I think you've just just given me a a great segue to force you a bit to look into the future. (laughs) I mean, we we are at a point, certainly, where you say the Russians are getting very little, but there's a lot of people here in Washington, rightly or wrongly, who say that even the little that they're getting is way too much and that there is a sense that this government could indeed be handing away the keys, metaphorically speaking. And so therefore you have a uh, Congress that is forcing the president to impose sanctions And you have a president that is so boxed in that any sign that he may give to the Russians that he's somehow doing something positive uh, is going to be a political disaster. But Russia is, after all, the second largest nuclear power in the world and a massively important country. So look into the future and tell us what is the constructive agenda for the United States and Russia? Where, where, what is it? Are we just in for a spiraling of a death spiral of relations? Or is there something that the United States and Russia can work on together that would be constructive and that somehow would be able to get this clearly derailed relationship at least back on one rail? (laughs)
2: Well, look, I don't don't want to talk about death spirals because that implies something that is leading in in, a very calamitous position. To be perfectly honest, my view is that essentially what we see now is what we're going to get. There is going to be sort of minor change, largely cosmetic, but I think that for the moment, essentially while Putin is in the Kremlin, which is going to be for some years yet, There are going to be presidential elections in Russia, but I'm willing to put a little bit of money on the fact that Putin is going to win those. Um, So Putin's going to be there for a while. And so long as Putin is there, I don't think there can be any substantive improvement in in relations. Because the thing is, when Putin first came to power back in 1999-2000, he was actually relatively pragmatic. He talked tough nationalist language but actually if you look at what he was trying to do he he wanted to sort of find some kind of modus vivendi some kind of way of living with with the west he has become increasingly radical he's become increasingly out of touch to be perfectly honest and this is just pop pop psychology on my part but i think he's increasingly begun to believe his own mythology um and, and exactly he is now committed to this you know constructing Russia's role as as a great power. And what that means is that essentially he is opposed to so many of the fundamental issues on which Western and US foreign policy are based. The notion that every country has equal sovereignty, it doesn't matter if you're a nuclear power or not. Ukraine has the same sovereignty as Russia, which has the same sovereignty as Georgia. Um, Putin clearly doesn't believe that. Putin clearly does not believe that international law and international values ought to apply to him or to his Russia. Now, there is not really much common ground we can find with that. We, 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 we can nibble away at the margins. We can, we can perhaps de-conflict in, in Syria. We maybe can share a little bit more inf- information against Islamic State terrorism or whatever. But this is essentially cosmetic. Um, I mean, I, and nor do I think things are going to deteriorate dramatically precisely because actually behind all their rhetoric – you know, there are a lot of very smart people in Russia, fr- and frankly, smart, pragmatic people in charge, who understand actually the massive disproportion in strength between Russia and the United States. You say Russia's the second in largest nuclear power, that's perfectly true. But what can nuclear weapons do in, in reality? They, 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 they are a very big saber that you can rattle. But beyond that, unless you're willing to basically blow up the world, there's not a lot you, you you can you can do with nuclear weapons. In every other index, Russia is incredibly weak. It has relatively little economic strength. It's already spending about a third of its federal budget on defense and security in one form or another. It's got very little soft power. Not many countries are sitting there thinking, gosh, we wish we were more like Russia. Um, you know by any index, this is a country which is actually in, in decline. Um, now, now, Putin is is doing a good job of, ho- of holding on to it, but n- the bottom line is, I think we are stuck with this situation until a new generation of leaders emerge in the Kremlin. And that's going to happen, but it's not going to happen tomorrow.
1: Professor Mark Gagliotti, clearly one of the most interesting and smart voices on Russia today. Thank you so much for having uh, been on the show.
0: My pleasure. So, Muni, what does it leave us? I think uh, we'll be coming back to the issue of Russia again and again and all tomorrow. But you know, it seems to me that what Professor Gallieri was telling us is that certainly from Russia's point of view, bullying wins because that's really what. Putin is good at, and that's really what he does very well. He does—he's not a chess player. He doesn't have economic cards to play. He is um, a military force, but a secondary military force. So it really is all about bullying. So bullying certainly wins today.
1: Well, Peter, I don't want to join in this chorus of like international hysteria about Russia and the United States. I think if we've been around for a couple of decades, we know there have been worse moments for Russia and the U.S. So. Really, we have to put this into context, and this is essentially within some pretty decent frameworks, uh, uh, some, uh, you know, controversial moment but definitely not one of the most. We've um, lived through the Cold War and some very tense situations between both countries. But what does concern me are the long-term consequences in the international sphere. This is a show about international politics. What are the global consequences for NATO, for Europe, for the U.S. as a global leader? Is this going to change the axis of power in this, um, in this very convoluted world?
0: That's, for me, the major question of where we are going and the major preoccupation, which is in the post-war era, NATO has been the foundation stone of our collective defense with Europe, a sense that the West stands together against outside dangers. NATO has been a defensive posture, not an offensive posture. And my real worry is, will Putin be successful at having degraded our relationship with NATO? And certainly Trump is a big NATO critic and while his vice president and his secretary of defense and his secretary of state all go out and try to put the car into reverse gear and try to clean up the president's statements, the fact is it's clear to everybody that the president doesn't trust or believe in NATO as much as any other president in the past. And that really is my great preoccupation.
1: I think that you said that the right word is the word trust and uh, flip it around into mistrust. Any All of this skepticism and distrust of the global situation and the distrust of Donald Trump creates, uh, I think makes more fragile the alliances that are crucial to not only the US but to Western interests. And I believe that as long as um, this situation escalates, it might put into question not only NATO, but the relationship with the European Union, the relationship between the rest of the world. And there are very large global challenges right now in the Middle East, um, in uh, basically all over the world that require that alliance to be strong and healthy.
0: Well, that's it for tomorrow today. We have run out of time. From Mooney Jensen and I, see you next time.